But for three days in the spring, (laughs) it's the nicest place on earth. Welcome to our random quarantine podcast where we talk with our friends that are also quarantined because we all live in the world. (laughs) Today I'm joined by Ross Arnold, um, who you may or may not know. He has joined me a few times for at least one time I know of for a little pregame chat about the senators for checking out the competition. Um, And Ross is a Canadian who lives in the U.S. now. And I am an American who tried to move to Canada. So we thought it would kind of be fun just to trade stories and maybe give people a little bit of insight into what it's actually like to try and move your entire life to a new country. So, Ross, how are you? Uh, I'm doing good. How are you doing, Kelly, other than the obvious? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm fine. Hanging in there. You're in California, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so so it's probably uh, warmer there than it is here in Halifax. <laughs> yes, I assume so. I mean, I'm I'm starting to get spoiled. I realize that now when, you know, I look outside, I'm like, oh, it looks like it's only going to get up to 60, 65 today. That, that sounds not warm enough. <laughs> You've already turned into a West Coast person. That did not take long. <laughs> yeah, I... Yes. I mean, I don't I don't plan on being a West Coast person forever, but uh, I think weather will be the saddest thing about leaving. I have a a theory as a person who has never lived in a place that's sunny all the time that after a while, like you just don't start you stop appreciating the sunny, warm days because every day is a sunny, warm day. So I've convinced myself that you have to have terrible weather. In order to really enjoy the good weather. This might just be a lie that I'm telling myself, but it's what I tell myself. See, I think there's two sides to that. One, I remember having a friend who's from Maracaibo in Venezuela. And Mm -hmm. he commented when I was living in Calgary on how he's like, every sunny day in Calgary, everybody is outside on patios, walking their dog, playing something with their friends. He's like, in Maracaibo, we have five days a year it rains and the rest of the time it's 100 and sunny. Uh, he said, we just don't care anymore. So that's definitely true. But I think you end up on the other side where you have like the Winnipeg experience of like, no, the summer is humid and full of insects and the winter is mm. cold and awful. But for three days in the spring, <laughs> it's the nicest place on earth. You got to come for those three days. <laughs> I have heard that about Calgary. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like Calgary was actually pretty decent weather-wise. Like, the winters are not that cold. Yeah. That it's, I mean, it obviously depends on what you think about cold, but part of it is that Calgary's so dry that, mm-hmm. like, damp cold is worse. And then on the flip side, in the summer, it's dry again. So, like, even when it's a day that you're mm. like, oh, it's pushing, like, high 80s, it's That's not humid. You're outside, you're in the sun, you're like, oh, it's pretty hot. You step in the shade, you're like, oh, it's not hot at all. So I I personally had no issues with Calgary weather. I I don't know why people mind the winter so much. You just have to dress properly, and then you're warm. It's not that hard. Whereas when it's 100 degrees and humid, there's no escape. Yep. Like, you can't get naked enough to make yourself comfortable. Whereas, like, you know, I went to Saskatoon in February one time. Was it cold? Yes. Did I stay outside very long? No. But, you know, put a coat on, put a hat on, put a scarf on. You're fine. Why'd you go to Saskatoon in February? 
I used to have like a, a poor choice. I know. I used to have a friend there, and I was like, "Oh wow, flights are really cheap." February. I wonder why. <laughs> um, so I went up there and stayed for like a week and a half, and actually, it was kind of cool because uh, it's the only place that I've ever been where when you step outside all of the boogers in your nose and all of the tears in your eyes immediately freeze and fall oh, off of your body. Yes. <laughs> it's like the weirdest thing to experience in like a kind of a cool way. I don't know that I'll go again, but um you know, for but, one you know, visit. you've lived. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I've done I've done the thing. So, let's just get right into it. You yes. are from Canada. What yes. brought you to the US? Uh working. Um, okay. so it's not, it's not supposed to be a permanent thing. Mm-hmm. It, the idea is that I, uh, I was doing my PhD in Calgary. I'm trying to move into hopefully working at a university sometime, mm-hmm. but like all Canadian professors who get hired now have experience somewhere else in the world. Yeah. So it's like, okay, this is my, I'm doing my international experience of doing research right now. So then I can hopefully try and find a job back in Canada in a couple of years. What field are you in? Uh, chemical engineering. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Not hockey related at all. No, I have a friend who's a, uh, engineering PhD. She, I don't know per- exactly which version of engineering she Fair is, enough. but I, she works for, um, Gore, the company that makes like Gore-Tex and stuff. And she, uh, works on projects like developing like mechanical body parts, essentially like replacement bits for like heart valves and oh, okay. veins and like all kinds of stuff. She's like the smartest person I know. So I assume that you are also the smartest person that I know because it's like as my, I have an uncle that's a, a sociologist at the university of Buffalo. Yeah. And when he, when he met my friend Val, that's the engineering PhD, he was like, Oh, a real PhD. <laughs> so I, I'm like, even as far as PhDs go, engineering's probably tough. That's Yeah, that's kind of funny, because I, <laughs> I laugh all the time at the fact that I get to use the term doctor. Like, I, no, yeah. I'm not actually that helpful. I can't write doctor's notes or when people are yeah. like, oh, what do you think about this coronavirus? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I studied, I studied how to turn human waste into energy. Like, that's not going to help you at all to survive a pandemic. Really? That's pretty neat. Like, we're going to get, I'm getting, like, way off into the weeds here, but I work for um, the city of Wilmington, Delaware, in our public works department. And one of the big initiatives that we did a few years back was we built an entire plant that essentially turns all of the poop from the wastewater treatment plant into energy. Um, And it's, like, an incredibly complex process that seems to involve, like, a lot of burning and different gases and things. Do you know what kind of energy? Like, were you turning into methane? Were you turning Um, it into syngas, like hydrogen, carbon monoxide? Any guesses? Of course not. That would be too helpful to you. I know that, like, we power the plant with landfill gas from the landfill that's in Wilmington. And that would mostly be methane. Yep. Okay, so I know that they take that in use that to power the plant that is taking the dry uh, drying out oh no that's what they're doing they're drying out the solids so that they're easier to uh dispose of that's what it is i had it backwards so we're using the energy produced by the landfill 
to power this plant that's drying out wastewater solids. Which okay. Is just, yeah, and yes. then that way they're easier. Like, they can be used, I think, for compost and... Oh, yeah. Really disposed of, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I don't know if that's in any way related that's, to what you that's do. That's actually... But quite related i remember because technically my research project was gasification of biosolids but okay biosolids is just a euphemism for poop like it's the That's solid stuff from thing. wastewater treatment i love those solids i love those euphemisms <laughs> and i feel like the energy people are the worst for them my favorite <laughs> is they talk about uh some people were doing research on bio oil which is like what happens if you heat up wood without oxygen so it can't burn but mm. like it's not really bio because you're working with like bark and things like that, but it's also not oil. It's more than half water. I was like, who came up with this name? This is the worst name I've ever heard of. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was it's... my PhD. And that's now I'm working in a group that does like concrete, trying to lower the carbon emissions of making concrete. So the very cool. different stuff. Yeah. See, I feel like I do a decent job of making my research sound cool. Um, for my usual day is you measure out some stuff, you stick it in a machine, you wait for a few hours, then you wash everything and start again. <laughs> Thrilling, right? Yeah. But also, like, I'm the kind of, like, nerd who is fascinated by anything that I don't know anything about. So I'm, like, the worst person for someone like you because I'm going to be like, oh, so tell me literally everything about what you do at a PhD level that I have absolutely no way to understand, but I'm super interested in. And so it becomes, like, a whole thing where I ask a bunch of dumb questions, but uh, I mean well. <laughs> you, sound, you sound like someone uh, with a PhD. I feel like, I don't know. I probably, Generally, the like the more you the more you know, the more you're like, there's so much stuff I don't know. I need to learn yeah. more. Yeah, I probably could have gotten a PhD except for the fact that I'm extremely lazy. That bit I think held me back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I feel like I have the same flaw, but you're working through it though. That's what's important. Yeah. So did you choose? The U.S. and California specifically, or was it kind of a matter of like looking through programs and kind of finding the best fit for you academically? Uh, I mean, so I'm doing a postdoc now, like mm -hmm. what they call doing something after your doctorate. And right. really, I just contacted people at a whole bunch of institutions, like um, contacted like a group in Sweden, one in Singapore, a bunch in the U.S. because for all its flaws, the U.S. does have a lot of the best schools in the world. Yeah. Um, and I think I contacted about 50 professors before I got one who was like, hey, we're actually looking to hire people. So, oh, nice. Yeah, so that was the, the guy at UCLA. So it wasn't, it wasn't specifically targeting California. It was just targeting schools that people have heard of. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So... I just, so just like, I guess we'll just kind of compare stories. Um, yeah. I decided to move to Canada for absolutely no reason. So literally ah, the perfect. exact opposite of you. Um, I kind of decided age, like ages and ages ago that this is the place that I would love to live. Not Halifax specifically, but, but, ca but Canada generally. Um, it's always been one of those weird things. Like the first thing, the first time I came here, it was to Toronto, which is like, 
probably the last Canadian city I would actually want to live in just because it seems like a nightmare. But um, I just like felt super at home in this country Ooh. instantly. Um, I don't know if it's just like the friendliness of the people or just kind of the way that in my mind, Canadian culture is just American culture if American culture was better in almost every way. Um, like nicer people, a more functional and caring government, like just kind of like if you took Americans and bumped them up a level, you have Canadians. So I don't know if that's why I've always felt at home here, the sameness, but also the difference, but I always have. And I never thought that I would be able to live here. Um, Cause as we'll talk about, I think in a little bit, moving to a different country is not just the thing that you can decide you're going to do on a Tuesday. And then by Saturday, you're like picking out an apartment in Calgary or something like it's not the way it works. Yeah. Um, so and I, yeah. Did you, well, when you say you had that experience, was that mm -hmm. even like being in Toronto? Did you feel that? So I, the first time I went to Toronto, I was in my early twenties. Um, also, I it, should commend you on pronouncing Toronto correctly, not saying the second T. Toronto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, it was definitely like a, a tourist experience, which I think is like a, also a, like a difficult thing. Like people, if you visit a place as a tourist and you're only there as a tourist all the time, you kind of, I think, develop like a really romantic ideal of what the place might be because you're not really living in it. Um, and I think it was definitely like that for Toronto for me at first um it was kind of just like a really cool place that was like new york city but it was cleaner and like everyone was talking about hockey and i could go to hockey games and there was a nice skating rink in the middle of the city and everything was cool and it was like at the, the first time that i went there i was very much like a hockey nerd that had no hockey friends here and going there it was just like ah this is great it's wonderful um but then i just kind of started traveling around canada um after making friends that live in different parts of the country. So that kind of, I think when you're staying with someone who is from a place that lives in a place that works in a place, you kind of get more of an idea of what it's like to live there and exist there in like a regular everyday way, rather than like you're traveling and staying in a hotel room and like doing fun things and going out to dinner every night, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it was like a weird instant feeling of hominess for me that kind of developed into something more real the more that I traveled around the country. Um, and I, I still don't really know why. I don't have a good answer as to why, but I've also decided that I don't really need one. It just is what it is. But um, super long story short, the reason that I'm here now is that um, maybe three or four, so like I said, I, I never really thought that I would be able to live here. Um, just because of the process, I thought about going to college here at one point, but like, I would never be able to pay for it. Cause like, I don't have rich parents and all that kind of stuff. Um, so four or five years ago, all the way down in Delaware, I met a guy from New Brunswick who was sailing with his dad from up there to the Caribbean and just happened to be stopped on the east coast and i met this guy and we entered into an ill-advised long-term relationship and um kind of thought that i would be moving up here to live like to 
have like a life with this man. Um, so I started the process of applying for immigration, thinking that I would be doing it like attached to this person. Um, of course that didn't work out because you know, life. Um, but I had already done this application process and then I was like, well, did I only want to move here because of that guy? Like, no, I just thought that I could because of that guy. But then I'm like, why can't I otherwise? So I just kind of like continued the process and then ended up getting a provincial nomination from Nova Scotia, which was the thing that kind of put me over the top um, as far as the Canadian immigration point system went. And so then I got in. And Ooh. then I um, have a friend that lives here in Halifax and he and his wife were like, if you're going to move here, just come stay with us for a little while. Uh, so I did. Sold nice. all my stuff, sold my house, quit my job, packed up, moved to Halifax. Wow. <laughs> a little so bit more of an aimless plan, but, what, you know. What even is a provincial nomination? Okay, so let's talk a little bit because I feel like there's probably more Americans than Canadians listening to this podcast. And probably. I know quite a lot of Americans um, have been thinking very seriously to themselves, perhaps I should move to Canada for any number of reasons. Um, but the Canadian immigration system uh, works on a points system. Yes. So let's say, yeah, so let's say you, dear listener, have decided that you would like to move to Canada. Your first step would be going to their immigration website and taking like an initial assessment quiz. It's pretty much just like some easy answers. Takes you like 15 minutes to do it. At the end of that, they will tell you, yes, you are a person that should apply to live in Canada or no, we are sorry. We are not interested in your services. So that's the first step. If you get the right answer out of that little quiz, you move on to doing the longer formal application for residency under a number of streams. So someone like you, an engineering PhD, um, if you were an American and you wanted to move to Canada, it would be relatively easy for you because you have a highly specialized skill, you're super educated. That makes it easier because those types of things are assigned more points. Um, so you fill out this application with your work history, your educational history, your language skills, what kind of family you would be bringing with you if you were going to be bringing anyone. And based on that information, you're given a number of points. I think the first time I did it, I ended up with like 380 points or something like that. So you've done this application, you're given a set number of points, now you're just sitting there waiting. The next step of the process is periodically, the government of Canada says, okay, we are ready to invite some people in and they will set a points threshold. And normally it's somewhere, in my experience, it's been like between like 400 and 450. So essentially what will happen is everyone's applications are sitting there. They'll say, okay, if you have at least 415 points, you are invited to apply to live in Canada. And so those things have, they seem to happen like Maybe every couple of months they would do something like that. So I was just kind of sitting there thinking to myself, okay, well, I guess maybe this isn't going to happen because you did not go to grad school, Kelly, or like you have like a boring administrative job that's not particularly interesting. So perhaps you will never get in. But there is a second part um, 
each province can decide that they might like a particular person to apply to come and live in their province because they feel that they would be a person that could contribute to society there. So I just happened to be looking at those programs and I noticed that Nova Scotia was taking applications um, for provincial nomination. And I was like, okay, well, I've, I'd visited here before I'd visited Halifax. I've been um, all along like the South shore of the province where like Lunenburg and Mahone Bay and Oak Island and all those places. Like I've, I've been around here at the time and I was like, it's nice there. Like that, I could live there. That would be cool. I'll just do this and see what happens. So I filled out that application, waited around a little bit, um, got a phone call from someone in their immigration office, I guess, just to verify that the stuff that I said was true. And then after that, they were like, yeah, we would like you to come live in Nova Scotia. And that gave me an additional 600 points. So the next time there was uh, what's called a, a draw, when they invited people to apply, I had enough points to do so. And I did. And so then from there, it's like a whole other application process. Like you're not just done. So once once they invite you to apply, essentially, now you're applying. Um, how does it work when you're coming down here kind of on a temporary basis? Like what kind of hoops did you have to jump through? It was pretty easy for me for two reasons. One is that um, I'm coming down on a specific visa. So the like probably if there are any non-Americans who are currently in the U.S., you're probably on an H visa because that's for uh, that's for working. Um, mm -hmm. I came on a J visa. So I'm a J1. My wife is a J2. Um, which is like a visiting scholar. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very specific category of you're coming maybe to maybe either to do grad studies or to do uh, postdoctoral work um, to be like a temporary lecturer or something at a university. If someone was doing like a one year research exchange, then mm -hmm. that's how they would do it. So it's a specific form that I filled out information on the university that the application on my behalf they um then basically you get the piece of paper that says you can come in and then you have to apply for your visa except Canada and the U.S. have an agreement that we don't have to apply for visas in each other's countries for these kinds of things mm. so I had to so I have to get the piece of paper that says I'm allowed to apply for a visa but I never had to do the visa application gotcha Whereas people anywhere else in the world um, would also have to do a visa. And mm -hmm. I've had a few people I'm supposed to work with, um, like one from Iran, one from India, that have been months and months in the process mm. of waiting for the visa thing to get sorted out. So it was almost unfairly easy for me to get in here. Like, it's never easy. And, I mean, things more like... Uh, under the visa, my wife could apply for a work permit, but that mm -hmm. took months and months and months to get done. Yeah. And um, and still, we got it done way ahead of when people expect that to happen. Yeah. Like, people are saying, they're like, yeah, the J visa work, work permit application uh, is supposed to be three to four months, but after the government shutdown, it's more like nine months. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, that's a, I mean, but that's important, I think, because 
if you are someone who would like to move to a different country, either permanently or just to have the experience, one way to make it way easier on yourself is to do it like through academic things. Like if you want to go to school for something, like if you've just finished your undergrad and you are thinking maybe I'll go to grad school, like consider applying to grad schools in Canada because that process getting in that way, way easier than doing it um, just kind of like on your own with no real connection. Also, if you can get a company in Canada to give you a job, um, that's also another way, but that's also quite difficult because um, the company in question would have to do paperwork like to bring you yeah. in. And unless you're someone like you, Ross, or like a medical doctor or some highly specialized, like super needed professional, um, not a lot of companies are going to be willing to go through the hoops that they have to go through to bring you in from someplace else. So, And, and I should specify that on the J-type visa to the U.S., it says that uh, it can be renewed for up to five years, but once it expires, you have to leave the U.S. for two years before you're allowed to come back. Mm-hmm. And That's a long time. You can you can apply to have that waived. So like if I got offered a job here, I could then say like then my employer could say, no, we want you to waive it because he's going to work here. Right. But like I couldn't then just stick around indefinitely until I find my next thing. At some point, my immigration status would expire. So uh, I think. Like, I know my friends who came on student visas to Canada, they had two years after their student visa expired where they had a work permit to try to find a permanent job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the nuances between the countries are a little bit different. I feel like yeah. it seems like a lot of the U.S. immigration system is based on the idea that everyone on the world in the world wants to move here. And so we want to make it very difficult. Yeah, which, like, newsflash, <laughs> probably not anymore. Um, but I, I, I didn't know it was two years. Like I knew that, at, that there are certain cases, um, you have to do what I have been referring to as, uh, tag up and then come back. Um, but I, I didn't realize that there were such long-term conditions on the tagging up at home before you come back. Like two years is a long time. It is. <laughs> yeah. Like if you've made a life somewhere and you have to leave it for two years. That's kind of like not an easy yeah. thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, this is specifically supposed to be a, like, don't do this to move here. Do this to right. advance your career and then leave and then again. Get, get the fuck out, please. Yeah. We don't want you here. <laughs> yeah. Which is like really interesting because it does seem like the, the stuff that I've read um, about the, the ways to stay in Canada kind of on the student track rather than the professional track. It seems like Canada does things to make it easy for people who graduate from academic institutions here to stay and make a life in Canada, which like makes sense because if you've brought people in and educated them at your universities and now they are highly educated and trained people, you would think that you would want them to stay rather than go back to that, where they came from. That would make sense, yes. I remember while yeah. while I was at University of Calgary, they actually changed the rules. So you do get immigration points for getting a degree in Canada mm -hmm. until 
five years ago or something you didn't that someone with a phd in canada had get would get because you do get points for education but someone Mm -hmm. with a phd in canada would get the same number of points as someone with a phd in saudi arabia oh and people were petitioning saying we should be able to get more points for this and the canadian government agreed um yeah and i also know people who stayed on like i had a friend do his master's in my group in calgary and then he kind of stayed on as like a lab technician project Mm -hmm. manager guy uh specifically to get canadian work experience so to put on his permanent resident application yeah the work experience is huge because then he could get say oh yeah i have two and a half three years of working in this lab mm-hmm. yeah and if if there is anyone uh listening who's like uh oh, my backup plan is just to marry a canadian that is a very very difficult process to go so hard yeah <laughs> because the process is so invasive um that they ask you for dates and times and events at which you met various members of each other's families they want as many photos as you can possibly get. They're going to interview people in your family. Like I have friends who, you know, were legitimately married and one of them got PR before the other in Canada. And so he was just going to apply as her spouse and then was like, ah, this seems way too complicated and decided it was easy to apply independently the way you're doing. Yeah. There are um, quite a lot of people that I've encountered who, you know, the Canadian is here and the American is still stuck in the U.S. because they haven't been allowed to come yet. So it's not just a matter of like, I'm going to marry a dude and then I get to stay here. Like, mm-mm. like you have to find the guy to marry and then also document the hell out of your relationship and then wait a really long time and hope that the government believes you. <laughs> and then you get to come and stay. Yep. Yeah, so I actually had a... um. What happened to me, I very foolishly fucked this up. Um, So when I got approved for PR, I was like, okay, so I'm doing this on my own. I don't have a job up here yet. I'm going to work for a little bit and save up as much money as I possibly can so that I'm not like destitute when I arrive in Canada. Another thing that you should know is they ask you how much money you're going to be bringing with you. And it has to be above a certain amount of money because they aren't going to let you move here with nothing. Um, So I was lucky enough to make a pot of money when I sold my house. But I was like bound and determined to not have to dip into that as much as I possibly could. Like I didn't want to blow through all of my money trying to live while I looked for a job. So I thought to myself, let me just work for a bit, save up as much money as I can, sold all my stuff, paid off all of my debt, that kind of stuff. And then I had this whole like health thing happened um, where I was like in the hospital for a bit. Things got real bad that way. Took a while for me to get better. And by the time I did, um, my invitation for PR had expired. So that sucked because it it made it a bit more difficult. So what they essentially allowed me to do um, was they gave me a year-long visitor's visa which normally if you're a visitor, you're allowed to stay six months and then you've got to go. Um, They gave me a a year-long visitor's visa and they were like, essentially like, listen, we've seen your application. You're not an idiot. You have work experience. Find a job. You can stay here. And I tried to do that. And as I said a couple of minutes ago, not easy to do. Um, Even like physically being here and 
all of that kind of stuff, I have not been able to find a job. So I'm actually going to go back home for a bit um, with the goal to come back here eventually. Um, So I have actually started the process over again, which is like super annoying because it's so lengthy. But like also a lot of it is just like passive waiting. So because it's just me and there's like nobody here waiting for me and there's nobody at home that like needs to know what I'm doing, I kind of have the freedom to just be like, well, I'll do this application again, see what happens. And if in a year I'm allowed to move back up here, I'll move back up here. We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, that that part kind of sucks. Um, how does living, how no, does uh, like border shutdowns affect that, though? Like, are you actually allowed to move home right now? Yes. So the okay. border is is closed, but um, they consider Americans getting back to America and Canadians getting back to Canada as like essential business, pretty much. Um, okay. So I can go home. I actually I had a flight booked on Air Canada that got canceled because they decided a, a couple of weeks ago that they're no longer flying to the U.S. Um, so once that was happened, once that happened, I was a little bit like, oh. Uh, maybe I'm not going to get home because I have to fly on an airplane to get there. Um, but WestJet is still flying. So I have a flight booked on WestJet now that seems to be happening. So we'll see what happens there. But um, yeah, it has been a little bit weird. Like I contacted the consulate, which is not a thing I ever expected I would be doing to be like, hey, guys, um, so are you going to let me back in or am I stuck here? And they were like, no, you can go just make sure you do it um so that's been a little bit weird um also kind of keen to get home during all of this because i worry about my parents but i think that's like a thing people do even though they're adults um but yeah so that's where i am right now um but it's interesting to me that people think it's so easy but i guess that you wouldn't really know that it's not until you tried to do it um yeah Yeah. i don't know and i think there's an element of assuming like you know immigration is designed to keep out people who aren't like me yeah right yeah like you forget that really from like a legal standpoint immigration is immigration it's hard because you have to make sure people no, aren't on the run from the law, are not coming just to try and escape whatever, like, they aren't coming to escape all of the debt they got themselves into in the last place they lived. Things right. like that. Yeah. Or, you know, you're, I'm just moving here so that I can go to the hospital for free and get on welfare and, and like, be a drain on this society. Yeah. They don't want that either. Which, um, I mean, there's basically nobody's goal. But yes. Right, of course, which is actually kind of also kind of hilarious because I feel like there's a very American attitude um, that people immigrate to the U.S. like to not work, which is hilarious because if you've ever met someone who immigrated to the U.S., they're typically the hardest working people you'll ever meet um, and absolutely cannot just move to a place and immediately put themselves on a welfare roll and not do anything like it just simply doesn't work that way um somehow somehow immigrants are both moving somewhere to just take advantage of the welfare state but also stealing all the jobs from (laughs) hard-working americans right yeah all of the americans lined up to pick lettuce yeah (laughs) exactly to be yeah to be nannies in 
yeah, like coal right. mining towns and stuff. I, I, I mean, that stereotype exists in Canada too, though. The idea about the, the yeah. lazy immigrant who's taking all the jobs, but also taking advantage of the system. I've actually been told, um, not like by anyone in any official capacity, but just kind of like in conversation with people that I've met here, that there is kind of like a, a I don't know if it's if they were saying it's specific to Nova Scotia or Canadians generally, that the fact that all of my work experience is American and I moved here from the U.S., like there's a level of pushing that resume aside because you're not one of us type of thing, um, which I can kind of see here. Nova Scotia is kind of like provincial that way and that they're very much like this is our place and we are maritimers and you know we're different from the rest of Canada like all that kind of stuff um which is interesting because not you know not that much different from any other Canadians that I've met sir I'm sad to say I've uh, never been to Nova Scotia I've been to the other nine provinces and I've been to Nunavut but so I can't speak for Nova Scotians. So you've been to like been there. You've been to Newfoundland and none of it. Yes. And you've not been to I guess I've probably technically well, I think I've like technically been in Nova Scotia. Oh no no no. Like um like driving where like where the Confederation Bridge is. Like I've oh, been okay. on the, the Nova yeah. Scotia side there. <laughs> but like I've never been to Halifax. Okay. Yeah, it is to to be honest of the places that I've been in Canada, it is my favorite place. Um, simply because it's like breathtakingly beautiful, in both like the beachy ocean waterway and like the mountains forest trees way, um, which for me is kind of nice because I really like both of those things. And I will say that the people here are among the friendliest people generally that I've ever met like brad marchand aside um most of the people here seem to be very friendly and welcoming um just not willing to hire an american <laughs> for a job yeah but then i also I have, get the idea visiting here oh i i mean i'm sure i will like yeah yeah yeah, There's also I, like I, a I've, million universities here, so maybe you'll yes, end up working. <laughs> also true. I did, yeah. Yeah, I had friends who went to St. FX and... Mm -hmm. Wait. Oh, I was going to say Mount Allison, sure. but that's in New Brunswick. Yeah. Dal, Dalhousie, um, St. Yep. Mary's, King's College. There's like four or five like in downtown Halifax, which is crazy. Wow. Um, do you plan on going back to Calgary or do you think you'll go someplace else? Probably not Calgary. Um, yeah, I am worried about the future of the economy and stuff in Alberta. Yeah, Alberta seems like the messiest place right now. Yeah, there's, yeah, like I, I don't really know what all to say, but basically the like the everyone in the province voted for a government that said you know oil's going to be great we're going to put all of our effort into oil we're going to cut funding from healthcare and education yeah. and everything else you care about to put it into oil 
and then oil plunged into the negatives and they're like and there's a pandemic going on right and they're like uh well i guess we're gonna just keep cutting healthcare and education because there's no money anymore so yeah. yeah like i i don't know i have a friend who's a family doctor in alberta and she's been talking about all the fights they've been having like recently the province ripped up the agreement that they had with doctors in the province that they were negotiating the next round of salaries and the province was like uh we don't actually like what you guys are getting paid we're just gonna ignore it and pay you less oh boy and how like now with all of their uh like because now everyone's doing appointments by phone or over video chat Mm -hmm. um she's like we can't bill for in-person appointments which means that like she she did the math i think she's working for about two dollars an hour right now oh my god because she has to pay all of her admin staff and stuff that work in her clinic like she's basically a small business owner she's like so this is where we're at and like um and i don't know if you heard like there was a doctor about a month ago who shared a meme like complaining about alberta's health minister Mm -hmm. and the alberta health minister went to his house like used government records to look up where he lived and went to his house to yell at him in front of his children. Oh my god. So this is this is the province of Alberta right now. Also, the guy who is the Minister of Health, his wife uh runs a company that does like private healthcare services as an alternative to the public system, which is a oh, conflict god. of interest. But like, yeah, I don't really want to live somewhere where like oh, no. the people who are designated as ministers then will completely breach your privacy to yell at you if you get mad at them online. Oh my god, all of that sounds so extremely American that I'm absolutely <laughs> forbidding you from going back to that place. Do not do this. <laughs> yeah. There are that better is, options. That is something that because uh, I mostly grew up in Ottawa okay. and moving to Calgary one thing that was very weird is that um, not so much that everyone had the same political opinions, because mm-hmm. I feel like anywhere, like within areas of Ottawa, you find people with all the same political opinions too. Yeah. But it's more the assumption that there's not a second opinion. Like people in people I'd talked to in Alberta would mostly just talk as if like conservative is the only way, and we all know that. Mm. And then if I was like, actually, that's not quite how I think, then people were surprised. Oh, boy. How is Ottawa? I was actually the stupid virus. I had all of this travel set for March. And my first stop was um, I was actually going to take myself on a little road trip from here to Ottawa to see Pearl Jam. And uh, I'd never been to Ottawa before, which is like weird because I've been to like tiny little towns in that part of Ontario, but I've not been to Ottawa. So I was super pumped to go there and I didn't get to. I've always wondered what Ottawa is like. Is it like Toronto or is it kind of more small towny? It's not that much like Toronto, I don't mm. think. Like I I mean, I'm biased. I like Ottawa a lot. I think mm-hmm. it's a lot prettier. There's a lot more green space with yeah. the canal and stuff. Um another thing is that like downtown Ottawa has rules about building heights. It's like you oh. can't you can't break the the sight line of the parliament buildings Mm -hmm. so it's like it's there's there are buildings taller than them but they have to be a certain distance away before they can be taller than them so you don't end up with a big downtown skyline so that you still keep the the parliament buildings there 
I love I that. I mean, I'm a I'm a big I'm a big nerd in case you had figured that out yet. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I like all of the museums and stuff at Ottawa. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. I'll get there eventually. Yeah. I I'm a fan, but I feel like it definitely feels more small townish. Mhm. Yeah. That's kind of what I like about Halifax. It's like it's definitely a city. Um, but especially coming from the east coast of the US, like the kind of city that it is is very different from like the urban environment that I'm used to. Um, and they also until very very recently had a rule about building both building height and also um in the middle of Halifax, for people who don't know, there's a an old army fort called the Citadel that's on top of a big hill. Um, and the rule was that the Citadel Hill, like the sight line, they had to be able to see the harbor, um, essentially, like as if it was still protecting Halifax Harbor, like they had to be able to see from there. Um, mm-hmm. Which means that, like you said, like the downtown is less like you're in a cage of buildings and more like being able to see things and green space and from different parts of downtown you can see clear down to the water which is really nice um and i kind of like that version of a city i think more as much as i love like philadelphia um that kind of urban environment i think kind of naturally induces a little bit of anxiety in people just because it's so crowded and closed in and people and things and moving and noises and all that kind of stuff um that I find the kind of city that has a little bit more open space and low keyness to it is kind of nicer, in my opinion. Super yeah. opinionated thing. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I feel like we forget how built up that section in the like Eastern US is. Like, yeah. Just, do, you, do you consider Wilmington part of like Greater Philadelphia? Or is it far enough out that you're more like, eh, we're a city, you just don't really leave city to get to Philly? So you don't really leave city to get to Philly from Wilmington. No yeah. one from Philadelphia would consider Wilmington as part of the Philadelphia area. It's really not. Okay. It's about, like, from downtown to downtown, it's probably, like, 45-minute drive, um, depending on traffic. But Wilmington in and of itself is, like, a very miniature Philadelphia, like, super urban you know, all the houses are brick row homes. Everything's close together. The downtown core of it is a bunch of super tall buildings. Um, crime, of course, is a big problem in big American cities uh, that it's not here. That's actually one of my favorite parts. This is going to sound like ridiculous, but one of my favorite parts of like visiting a Canadian city is when someone takes me to the bad part of the city and I'm like, okay. <laughs> like this this is the bad part okay like please do not ever go to the bad part of philadelphia you will like <laughs> melt into the ground out of fear because like i'm like mm, okay this is the public housing section where all of the poor drug addicts live in halifax and it looks quite nice like i would possibly live here <laughs> so it's like a weird it's just like a weird thing like if you're from the east coast of the u.s and that's the only kind of like quote-unquote city life that you've experienced it's like way different even in different parts of america like buffalo is more like here than it is philadelphia um la i've never been to la but from what i understand la is mostly just like spread out suburbs that you have to drive to 
Yeah, I well, I mean, I don't... That. See, I associate suburbs with, like, spread out housing and green uh, space yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And that's that's not L.A. Like, mm-hmm. it is, it is just city and a whole bunch of independent communities that are connected together. Like, mm-hmm. I do wonder from having, like, the time that I drove to San Diego... And again, you never like you just drive down the freeway and you never really leave city. I was Mm -hmm. like, I wonder if this is also what the New York to Philly drive is like that. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's the kind of thing that like in downtown L.A., I'm like, oh, this kind of feels like downtown Toronto, like great Mm -hmm. big city. But Toronto, you don't have to drive that far to hit a point that you're like, oh, we are definitely in the middle of nowhere now. Whereas like I've driven to. I've driven a few different directions out of LA and I'm like, you, you never like, it takes you hours to Mm -hmm. get to a point that you're like, Oh yeah, we are not in the city anymore. Yeah. It's like that here, especially if you're driving North South from really from like DC to Boston, really, you don't, you don't leave city at all. Um, Which is pretty wild because that's a considerable distance. That's a big distance. Yeah. And like, if you, Go a couple of hours west from the East Coast. You do get into something a bit more rural and less... Even, like, the suburbs in that area are pretty smushed together. Um, Yeah, so it's... My friend from Saskatoon, when he came to visit, called it Mega City 1. The distance from, like... I think we went from, like, D.C. to New York. And he just mm. referred to it as Mega City One because, like, you don't, there's no real marked difference <laughs> between the places for the entire stretch of the drive. Yeah. Which is like, you know. These countries we live in are very funny in that but, there's these little sections that they just pack people into. Like, I don't know what percentage of Canada lives from like Windsor to Montreal, but it's a, it would be probably like half of the country or more. I think, yeah, I think I read somewhere that like there's some like I think um I forget the the line is of the, is it the like ninety percent of Canadians live within a couple hours drive of the U.S. border? Yeah, something like that. Like it's yeah. it's an obscenely high percentage of people. I th- and I think that I've read somewhere that like the entire country has fewer people than like Tokyo. Oh, but, I'm sure. So much space, like so much space. Yeah. But you know, a lot of the up top part, you can't really live there. That would be miserable. Very cold. Yeah. My, uh, yeah. My parents. How was lived... none of it? So I've I always went wanted to go because, there. I went because my parents were living in Iqaluit for a bit. Oh, really? Yeah. That's neat. I mean, it was interesting to see. It was uh, very much a like, I feel like this would be hard to live in. Like it was, it was fun to visit for a week, and I went in May, so I wasn't in the it's dark all the time time of year. Huh. Yeah. What made them decide to do that? Uh, work. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. If you're moving up there, you're probably working for the. You're probably working for like the territorial government. Okay. Um, or you're uh like you're a nurse or something yeah um yeah there's a yeah, that's decent... the thing if you if you really want to move to canada get yourself into the medical profession and yeah. you'll get in here real quick yeah 
because apparently a lot of the um, a lot of the medical staff in the territories are people who've emigrated from somewhere else and mm-hmm. were like have nursing training, and so it's like it's easier they it's easier for you to get certified to work in Canada if you're willing to work somewhere remote. Mm, yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, it's like that show Northern Exposure. I don't know if you ever saw that show. No. That's like a real weird reference, but. Um, well, as opposed to the rest of this podcast, which is oh, no, you know, yeah. why people listen to Philadelphia Flyers podcasts, right? <laughs> people are going to either <laughs> find this really interesting or they're going to turn it off after 30 seconds. Either way. Yeah, I feel like, what matter. is this? So, so let's, on that a- note. Yeah, no, I was going to ask you, is there anything that stood out to you as like really weird about moving to Nova Scotia? Like, just even just little things that you're like, why does it happen this way? So the the little things that I have noticed that are, like, way different. This is, like, a super small thing, but it, like, it made me, like, giggle. I like it so much. So I was taking a lot of public transportation because I didn't bring my car up here. And people here say thank you to the bus driver when they get off the bus, which is, like, not a thing that people... Oh, they don't do that in Philly? No, no, oh. I don't, not I've, regularly anyway. I have heard people do that in LA, like not frequently, because yeah. I would, I would take the bus, I take the bus to UCLA and back every day, mm-hmm. and maybe like once or twice a week, I would hear someone say thank you to the bus driver. Okay. Mm. One of the things, one of the, that I hear people who come here for the first time, um, that they find interesting is paying for things. Um, First of all, tap like tapping for payment is like the only thing that people do here now. Whereas like at mm-hmm. home, I think that's like just starting to be a thing. Um, and also the way that like in a restaurant back when those existed, like how they bring you the debit machine rather than taking your card away. Mm-hmm. That's something that's like doesn't happen in the U.S. as far as I'm as I've seen like ever. Um so people I know that visit here tend to be like, oh, what are they doing? That's weird. But also it's like, if you think about it logically, it makes a lot more sense than them taking your card away and bringing it back. But um, that is weird. And also one thing that I have found super interesting is that there are su- certain things that um, kind of switch between imperial measurement and metric measurement for like no yep. discernible reason, especially in the supermarket where mm. like... It'll be like uh, this pack of like this. These bananas are like two ninety nine a pound, but like when you weigh them and pay for them, it's in grams. And so it's like I don't like you know. It's like a weird those kind of things pop up in the supermarket in a weird way that I don't understand. Um, but it just means that everyone here understands both of those measurement systems, whereas Americans, I think, struggle with metrics still, even though it's just tens. Um, yeah, well, but you don't you don't do anything in metric here unless you're like working with something that came from Europe. A, yeah, yeah, or like I guess a scientist or something. You probably work. In yeah, metric. that's true, actually, because people have asked me. They're like, "Oh, are you adjusting to doing stuff at Imperial?" I'm like, "No," because I work with a bunch of people who came from India and China and England and France to right. work in scientific research, where everyone publishes in metric anyway. Yeah. And plus, like, 
imperial measurements don't make any sense. Especially temperature. Like, why is 32 freezing? Why? <laughs> this is, why this is my question. Yeah. So, yeah, I think because uh, chemical engineering is just doing unit conversions, that's really the only thing we do in our job. Um, mm -hmm. I can do the temperature decently. Like, I can estimate in a hurry where I'm trying to get to. But really, they mean nothing to me. It's just I'm converting in my head. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's 74 in the house right now. Okay, that's that seems reasonable. That would be somewhere in the 20s in Celsius. That's how it is for me. Like, I... Because I can... I can do it real quickly in my head because I just like, it's not exact, but I'll just like double it and add 32, which gets you pretty close if you're going from Celsius to Fahrenheit. And so like, I, like you, I have like a vague understanding of like what eight is, but I still have to do the math in my head in order to like fully understand like, oh, okay. It's like 50. Okay. I get that. Like, that's a thing that makes sense to me. I know what kind of clothes I need to put on today to go outside which is like it's it's sort of like learning a new language like yep. you might you might be able to speak the French out loud but in order to understand it like you're translating it into English in your head yep. um, but that's yeah I, I kind of wish that we would just all do the same thing it would be easier for all of us if we just did tens they're very easy to understand yeah, but, but yes, I yeah, mean, every Canadian yeah. does their their height in feet and their weight in pounds. Yes. And then, but then distances um, in kilometers, unless mm -hmm. unless you're really talking about driving and then you do your distance in hours. That That is true. <laughs> I forgot about that. They do do that here. Yeah. It's funny Which you is, talk about the tap thing, or, or even just paying in general, because it felt like going back in time that I'm like, what? They want to take my credit card, and then I have to calculate my tip by hand? Right. Like, I got so used to, you could just do it on a machine. And, like, you put your card in the machine, it said, you tell it you want to put in whatever percentage of tip, it just calculates it, you pay at the end. Mm -hmm. And then tap is fun, because it feels like a magic trick. Like, I'll go places that they have the symbol for tap, mm -hmm. And I'll be like, oh, I'll just tap. And the cashier will say, oh, that doesn't work. And then it works. And they're like, what did you do? <laughs> no, it's like, this is witchcraft. Are you from the future? Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, I, I don't understand why the U.S. is so behind there. But I remember um, I came up here once and we didn't even have chip yet. And people here were like, what like they I was having to like swipe my card and like half the time it wouldn't go through it was like embarrassing almost because I'm like no, no no I I can pay you I swear <laughs> I can't it's just I have to use this card from the 80s you have to swipe it with a machine just like yeah. the tap though is like it's gonna be hard to go back from that because you can have like stuff in your hands you just like pull your card out boot put it back real quick it's like yeah so easy and convenient and I I think that they're starting to do it in the U.S., but it's definitely not a universal thing yet. No, it's not. Which is annoying. Yeah, I found it weird that we pay our rent with checks. Like, every month I just take a check to the front office. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the place I was staying before in Canada, I just did, like, direct deposit deductions. Like, they just automatically took it from my bank account every month. Yeah. But... That's the, the um... The email money transfers that you guys do yes. here are so easy. 
Yeah. And I never, I didn't know like, about them until I moved here. It's kind of like Venmo, but I feel like more convenient. Yeah, and, because there's no like middle step. I was gonna say I feel like it sets up a lot of how like the I don't know American independence freedom idea of like it was someone like a private company that's like hey why don't we make it easy to pay people yeah money like without cash and because yeah. I think now there's is it called Zelle like the thing that the banks are trying to do that's like Venmo I think so but I don't. I don't know. Like, I don't even know what that is. Is have it just you, the same as the email? I don't know. Have you ever heard of anyone who's used it? No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, everyone either. I know uses Venmo. Yeah. Which is, like, it, you're right. It's an extremely American thing to have to have, like, a third-party, capitalist, profit-driven machine in between an extremely easy thing that people could just do between themselves. But... Yeah. Yeah. That That's... I, I remember running into the e-transfer thing um, when at one point on Silver 7, we had a couple of American writers Mm -hmm. who something, I'm trying to remember what had happened. It was like we got paid, I can't if we got paid later or forgot to pay people or something. But then, so then I just tried e-transferring it to them. They're like, what is this? What is this? I was like, oh, oh, you probably don't have that in the U.S. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because the the way that I learned about it is... um... A friend of a friend here bought a bunch of tickets to a Mooseheads game. And so we're at the game and I'm like, oh, let me um, send you some money for these tickets. It wasn't even a lot. It was like 13 bucks. I was like, do you have Venmo? And she was like, what? And I was like, well, like, do you guys like Venmo so that I can send you the money? And she's like, can't you just like email it to me? And I was like, what? Like, it was like this <laughs> mutual misunderstanding of like how you send money to people. And so then I was like, Oh, because when I first got here, I didn't have a Canadian bank account, obviously. And then once I set that up, it was just like sending money left and right. Like I've purchased goods from like small businesses using it. It's like the easiest thing in the world. And I don't know why we don't have it at home. Maybe it'll catch on the Zelle thing, even though I don't know what it is. I don't know why they had to give it a weird name. Just like e-transfer. Yeah. That's all it is. I, yeah. I don't know. I feel like at this point, Venmo has become such a thing that mm-hmm. are are you really gonna defeat it? And yeah, probably not at this point. Although it did kind of defeat PayPal, which was like the thing before. But that's like a lit. I guess people still use that to pay for things, like buying stuff, yeah. as opposed to sending money to people yeah. privately. So okay. one thing. Yes. Uh, about moving between countries that I remember I didn't realize until I did it is that credit does not transfer. That was that was something that like super concerned me because I was like, I have really good credit. Like I had a house and like I've paid my bills and like it's like the one adult thing that I've done really well is maintain good credit. And when I got here, it was like, you don't have any. And it's like, oh, that's fucking weird (laughs) like what do I do now like it's kind of like I've always wondered like if I wanted to buy a house here how that would ever work because I would essentially be like a nobody credit wise which is like super weird have you found it difficult to like do life things with no credit history yeah we we got lucky with our 
apartment that we're renting now, like we had to do the credit application, but basically we had to prove that I was employed, prove what my salary was, show them like all of our banking statements from Canada and stuff. And mm. they decided to approve us anyway. But um, like we, we bought a car here and that was a process and a half. Like I think we spent about six hours just sitting around waiting to get approved to buy the car. Oh, wow. And it was like, because it was like we could just, it's like we could buy it outright if we needed to, but even that was complicated. And mm -hmm. basically, so then they wanted to, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll get you a, we'll get you a loan. And then they're like, oh, you guys don't have any credit. We're like, we know. This is why, <laughs> <laughs> this is an issue in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, I always wondered, that. like, would you be able to, like, if you printed out your credit report and you could physically say, like, look, see, I did pay my bills. Like, if that would matter or if they would just be like, we don't care. You didn't do it yeah, here. They, they didn't care. Not yeah. even a little bit. That's crazy. What we did, because we were with uh, TD in Canada, which also mm -hmm. has branches in the eastern U.S. So we could mm -hmm. set up bank accounts that were linked so we could transfer money between them. And then in the we did eventually get credit cards through TD here, but even that was a process because somehow TD US was like, oh, we can't give you credit cards. You don't have American credit. We're like, but the whole point was we have Canadian credit. That's why we stayed with the same bank. Yeah, that I actually did that, too. That actually turned out to be really convenient. Um, yeah. the did, TD you thing. did you have to go into a branch? I did, which was also the, weird. Because the problem like, with I living in to... California is there are yeah. no branches here. Oh, wow. Oh, that's <laughs> so, so So here's the thing. Like, at home with TD, yeah. you can do pretty much anything online or over the phone. Like, you don't have to go into a branch at all. Here, yeah. I had to not only go into a branch, I had to make an appointment to go into the branch to open the bank account, like, with a man at a desk. And, I like, I, one day I just, like, walked in and I was like, hey, I would like to open a bank account. And they were like, oh, you need to make an appointment. I was like, What? an appointment <laughs> like what are you talking about so that was like a an experience but it cool. did make it super easy the transferring the back and forth across the border thing made things a lot easier than i thought it was going to be to do yeah. banking up here i was gonna say the probably like i feel like doing in-person stuff at the bank now they want you to make an appointment but i think like have you had to go back to do stuff since and now can you do things online or over the phone I haven't had to do much, really. So the few things that I've had to do, I was able to do online, like transferring between accounts and that kind of stuff. Um, so it wasn't really that much of a problem. I was worried that I was going to have to, because since I'm coming home for a bit, I'm closing them. Because another thing, interestingly, all of the bank accounts here have fees, which is like infuriating because at home, mm. like if you get a certain kind of bank account, you're not paying anything for it. Oh, um, we definitely have a no fee bank account. Like mm -hmm. I can't remember. I can't remember what the minimum balance has to be, but they do. But they also might only be available if your credit rating is a certain level. Mm. I know that there was one there was one that I could get that had no fees, but it was also like you could do like one transaction a month or something oh. like it's some some like ridiculous okay, yeah, yeah. limitation. And I was like, mm, well, that's not going to work. Um, but I was actually, I would, that surprised me a bit, especially because it was like, okay, TD bank down there, TD bank up here, how much different could they possibly be? 
But I think like the cheapest bank account that I could reasonably use was like four ninety five a month, which was like not an onerous amount to pay, but just annoying because I was yeah. used to not having to pay for a bank account at all. Yeah. So that that was that was kind of interesting to me because I always kind of think of and this is probably just because I am this person, but like I think of those kinds of like fees on services that really shouldn't have fees as like an explicitly American thing. <laughs> like we're going to rip you off every single way that we can because no one's going to tell you that we can't. So, um I was surprised to learn that bank accounts with fees is kind of like the standard here at least it seemed like it was i'm sure that if you like really dug into it and tried really hard and like maybe if you got one of those online only bank accounts or something you could probably find something that didn't cost you anything but um going with td just seemed like the thing to do because of the the easy transfer stuff so if i really wanted to i probably could have found something free but it was just easier so i was like paying for convenience really yep that yeah that makes sense I, yeah, I mean, that does surprise me that you had to get a bank account with fees, but mm -hmm. I'm like, I wonder if there's rules about citizenship or things like that for certain accounts too. There probably could but, be. But sure. I also know that the, like the big five Canadian banks are like in the top seven most profitable companies in Canada. So they don't, they don't do that <laughs> by, uh, they don't do that by being generous with their fees. Right. Yeah, of course. Also, um, one thing that has been something that I didn't think would impact me at all, but kind of has, is the marijuana being legal thing. Um, I was not much of a pot smoker at home. Um, but here, it's just, like, so ubiquitous and just, like, easy. Like, here in Nova Scotia, they sell it at the liquor store. Um, so it's just, like, there. And so it was like, oh, I'll just try some of this, which is like a really weird thing because I was not into it at all at home. Um, and I probably won't be once I get back there. But that's kind of like an interesting thing because like I'm so used to it being illegal that it being like such a common part of culture here is just like, oh, OK, we're smoking pot now. It's just a thing that people do. <laughs> It's legal. Ever. It's across Canada, right? Yep. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The whole country did it together. It's yeah. funny because I feel like legalization didn't really up the amount of smoking. It just changed the market. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I felt like I knew a bunch of um, like conservative old people who were like, ah, this is going to destroy Canadian society. I'm like, right. I feel like it's just going to like, if anything, it's just going to make everything a little bit safer. Like, yeah. let our police focus on things that actually matter. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think it's actually going to change much of the, the way the country works. Like, there might be a few people who are like, oh, it's legal now. Maybe I'll try it. But for the most part, it's like people who were already smoking regularly keep doing yep. it. People who weren't don't. Yeah. The end. It's yeah, funny like... being in California where it's mm -hmm. legal. Oh, that I feel is like, legal there. That's because right. I feel like there's advertising everywhere for you know the like the best delivery services and places that are open 24 hours and stuff. I'm like, this is funny. Like, you need to create a market for yourselves. <laughs> right. It's kind of there. Yeah. Already. 
yeah, so that's that's been interesting. Um, in a good way, I think. There's really no reason for that particular drug to be illegal. It's fairly harmless. And so you might as well let people do it in a safe way that doesn't involve people being criminals for silly things like that. But well, I think that's pretty much it. I'm going to take you back to hockey a little bit and like okay. kind of a, um, extremely unprofessional and possibly hilarious way. So one of the things that I've been doing on this podcast that I've been doing since quarantine um, is like a tailor-made fuck, Mary kill for every okay. person. Okay. And so for you, I'm doing members of the 2016-17 Ottawa Senators that got to the conference final because I feel like that's like the last Ottawa team that anyone actually cared about. So we're going to do that one. And I think your choices are going to be... I'm not putting Eric Carlson in because I think that's too easy. So you're getting Dion Phaneuf. Ooh, okay. uh, Mark Stone. And... Who's a good third one? Oh, Andrew Cheeseburgers Hammond. Uh, Hammond, I mean... Hammond wasn't really part of that run. Oh uh, no, I'm just looking at the yeah, hockey TV. That's fair. He would have been the he would have been the background guy. So from that te- like you're gonna marry Mark Stone all day. He is yeah. the heart and soul and extreme passion of this team. Like I feel like he was probably like I say he's the most beloved player in Ottawa history. Like mm. like. People kind with Daniel Alfredson, people kind of for, like, even more. like I feel like Alfie definitely at the end, but people forget there was a whole time in the middle when people said the same things about him that like Sharks fans said about Patrick Marlowe. Like he's the captain who can't bring us over the hump. Mm, okay. Like I'm trying to remember what I think he was going to get trade. Like there was a rumored trade Alfie for Jason Allison or something like that at one point. Oh, wow. Anyway, yeah, like it's weird to look back on now that that would have been a viable trade at the time. But mm-hmm. yeah, whereas Stone, I think, has been loved since day one. Like no one would say anything bad about him. Um, of those others, too, then you're going to fuck Andrew Hammond because uh, <laughs> he's he's great. He's I mean, he was uh, he was great for a very short amount of time. That's kind of the definition, right? True. And yeah, like. I feel a little bad saying I'm going to kill Phaneuf, but like he was not a great hockey player by the no. time he was in Ottawa. He, he was, I think he'd matured from his Calgary days. Like he was the kind of guy that you'd hear the stories about, like um, sometime that like the Sens went to one of the trendy restaurants in Ottawa for supper, but a couple had to get moved so that they could actually get enough tables for the team to sit together. Mm-hmm. And then like, after and then afterwards the couple found out that like Phaneuf had paid for their bill kind of oh. thing. like like he was the guy who do that like did the nice things that he that just didn't get publicized and yeah. a lot of the stories started coming out like after Ottawa traded him again but yeah <laughs> now I feel bad because I was like easy choice yeah. killed yeah. me on oh, I, I know <laughs> so that's the thing I'm like kill him he's a nice guy but this is supposed to be a hockey podcast mm. That's true. This was an yeah. extremely hockey yeah. podcast. If you want opinion. me to, if you want me to pick uh, other like 
other extremes from that team, like we could kill Alex Burrows. I feel like every Sens okay. fan hates him. Okay. <laughs> like that was a that was a terrible trade. That was a terrible <laughs> extension. He was a terrible person, and he ended up on our team. Like I don't know. It would be like. It would be like if, I don't know, eight years from now, the Flyers traded for Tom Wilson or something. You'd be like, why is this guy on a team? <laughs> Where's Bobby Ryan fall on that list for you? Ooh, well, it depends when you ask me. Mm, exa- yeah, right? <laughs> if, you'd a- if you'd asked me two years ago, I would have said kill all the way. But now I'm like, oh, man, this guy is just like, come, like, he's like, probably like 150 days sober now, like the stress of his mother dying and his child being born within like a week oh, of each other yeah. seemed to push him to being an alcoholic. Um, like, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to say something bad about someone like that. It's really difficult when they remind us that they're human beings. Yep. Just let me I, think of you as a, a machine that plays sports for my entertainment. <laughs> I, wrote I don't a, have to have feelings. Yeah. I wrote an article last week about like five positives from the season and someone afterwards commented, they're like, why was one of the positives not Bobby Ryan overcoming alcohol addiction? I'm like, well, that's probably the biggest positive when we remember how important hockey is compared to how important like human life is. Yeah. But you know, (laughs) you write for a hockey blog. Sometimes it's okay to just acknowledge the hockey things. We had a lot of that. We've had a lot of that with the Flyers. Like, uh, because oh, yeah, Oscar yeah. Lindblom got real yes. sick. Yeah. And then people would be like, how could you even complain about the fact that he's not on the hockey team anymore? I'm like, I can hold two thoughts in my head. Like, very, very sad on a human level. Also, sucks that my team's not as good as it was before. <laughs> like, these two things can exist in my brain at the same time. Yeah. Well, it's but. kind of like saying, you know, it sucks that, like, that so many people are dying from this virus. It's also annoying that, like, my evenings have got very quiet because of this virus. Exactly. Like, because you're capable of holding two thoughts in your head. Yes, most of us are. I like to think so, but some people seem to have trouble. Yeah. That might just be because I spend too much time on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being a good sport about the one hockey thing that we talked about. Oh, because I yeah. think it's hilarious. And also, thank you for hanging out with me. I, I cannot believe how long we've been talking. I don't want to keep you yeah. for too much longer. But this was a lot of fun. This I learned fun. a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. Well, I Yep. I'm thankful well, I don't have to emigrate back to Canada at any point. No, they're just going to let you right back in. Yeah. Lucky you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much, Ross. If you guys want to check out Ross's work and his pal's work, go to Silver Seven Sons. Although it's like... There's no sports, which is yeah. just... But I think we've still been getting up about an article a day. Nice. I, I've been shocked by how much content there is, how much people want to talk about stuff. Um, we've been we've been rewatching Good Sense games because uh, Sportsnet nice. seems hell-bent on showing all of the worst devastating playoff losses in Ottawa Senators <laughs> history. So we're like, let's, let's rewatch a game where Ottawa wins in the playoffs. That's a fun idea. Actually, we... We the most recent rewatch we did was the Senators Flyers game where they set the record for most pims in a in a game. Oh, actually, um, yeah, we somebody shared that in our Slack chat and we all read it and had like a fun time reliving because that was oh, extremely yeah. fun. Game. <laughs> I'm like, I was a I was a child when that game happened, but I remember it being incredibly fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yep. 
So yeah, we're I think all of SB Nation is doing we're all doing the best we can yeah. about sports. So go check out Silver Seven Sons. If you have any questions about moving to Canada, you can talk to me on Twitter, but I can promise you it's more difficult than you expect it to be. So Ross, thank you so much for hanging out with me. This is a lot of fun. I hope you have a good afternoon. Thanks. Bye, Kelly. All right. Bye-bye.